Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Belinda Carlisle, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. Pantheon Podcast presents, from Hollywood, California, The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaming. You are invited to join the Hollywood princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaming as she brings you The Devil's Music. Hi, this is Pleasant Gaming, and you're listening to The Devil's Music Podcast, all about... That sinful rock and roll. It's the beat. I know what it does to you. Rock and roll and witchcraft have been two concurrent themes in my life since the age of 12. So that's how I got the idea to do this, to explore two of my favorite things, especially since Whiskers on Kittens doesn't really translate into a podcast. Um, In case you don't know me, I'm a rock and roll witch. I'm a best-selling writer. I was one of the first punks in Los Angeles with a fanzine called Lobotomy, and I was an active part of that mid-to-late-70s punk scene that I helped create. I went on to book all sorts of clubs and venues in L.A., including two of the most seminal punk clubs, Raji's and Cathay de Grand. Um, I lived in a very famous punk rock house called Disgraceland. Legendary, I might add. I'm a painter. I'm an actor. I've been a professional dancer for probably many years, longer than some of you have been alive. I'm still ticking and still ticking lickings. Some of you might know me. Some of you might not have heard of me. And some of you may have heard of me in the ahem, biblical sense. But we're here to have fun, and I'm glad you're joining me.
this is Pleasant Gaming, and you're listening to The Devil's Music, which is definitely something to be thankful for. I am here just before Thanksgiving with Ace Von Johnson, who's an incredible guitarist. He's played with so many bands that we were just trying to decide which ones we were going to name. But um, he's in LA Guns and they have a brand new record out. I call it a record. You guys might just call it tracks. Um, <laughs> he's also uh, played with Faster Pussycat and a band called Neon Coven that I just said Neon COVID. Um, so you can tell I'm batting a thousand. I haven't done a podcast in about a month or so and I'm super rusty and tired and crazy. And But I can guarantee you that Ace is probably going to sound a lot more intelligent than I am or maybe we're both going to fall into the depths of depravity together it's quite possible anyway hi Ace how are you I'm very well how are you I'm good I'm I'm scattered um like side notes we had to start this um this podcast twice due to my stupidity <laughs> because I am the hostess with the mostest anyway there's um, a technical Ace, error that's bound to happen Yes, that's always, yeah, technical errors are one of my hidden talents, as is <laughs> making a mess. <laughs> that's my true talent. Um, but anyhow, you're in Nashville, and I didn't even realize you were there. So yeah. when, did, when did you, when did you, um, when did you relocate, pandemically speaking, or just? Yeah, uh, I'm, an, I'm an Angelino, you know, and so we're yeah. pretty rare. Uh, you know, my mom used to go see the doors at the whiskey a go, go. So like, you know, it was hard for me to kind of give it up, but with the, the pandemic and everything, and I wasn't touring and, um, I had been coming out here, uh, to sort of, you know, stay with friends and do some work stuff and just passing through on tour for the last 20 years or whatnot. And because obviously it's Music City out here, there's so many people I know that either gravitated here on their own or were already here. And um, a, an ex-girlfriend of mine told me, she, she said, we're still friends, obviously. She said, you started talking about moving to Nashville in 2013. So it wasn't just some, you know, I'm going to get out of here and go here. It was something I'd been planning for a while. I started looking at houses out here uh formally probably a year and a half ago and uh i started making some moves around the end of summer early fall i got the place i'm in right now literally a year ago last week it was november 16th and i remember that because it's my mom's birthday and uh and here here i am and I, I i jumped right before the holidays and i have you know my only regret is not leaving la sooner unfortunately you know just i hate to say it like that but it was time no, it's like a, it's a, like um, I, I've got to say it's like a hellhole here. I've been having fantasies for like twenty five years of leaving, but then I keep getting the Hollywood thing. Like I just like I wanted to live in Hollywood all my life before I came out here because I wasn't born here. But um, yeah, if, like when was the last time you were here? For anyone, for anyone listening, like like all of Hollywood looks like worse than how we used to imagine. How cut it looks like. John it looks Crawford. like the Road Warrior, but with not as good costumes. Yeah, the costumes aren't as cool, you know. And no uh, flying machines. Let us have the oil and we can, you can leave with your lives, you know. Uh, yeah, this is John Carpenter's Escape from L.A., literally. Uh, the last time I was there, I was in Hollywood maybe 10 days ago. Were you um, shocked? 
No, because it, 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 you know, I'd only been gone for 10 or 11 months at the time. And it, it, it's been a slow burn to what it is. I'm, if I'd been gone for three years or two years or pre-pandemic, it'd be a shock. But I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure where in the city you are, but I mean, I was at the top of uh, Argyle, just north of the Capitol building. Oh, yeah, I would have been your neighbor. I mean, I was your neighbor, but <laughs> we didn't yeah, know no shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I'm like right at the top. I was for seven years at the top of Argyle where it curves up into the hills. And, you know, it went from being kind of bougie and cool to, you know, there'd be a guy, a naked guy taking a dump on the front stoop of the building you know, real quick. And that was before the that was before the pandemic. And I feel like it only got worse after that, unfortunately. Yeah, now you have to like decide which giant homeless encampment you want to walk or drive through to get down into central Hollywood. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago around around this time of the year and going around and giving people $20 bills. I was definitely drunk, and it was definitely after I got home from a tour and had money to literally give away. But it went from being like you'd see people that would set up a tent or you you know, of course there were the troublesome bunch but it went from being like oh that's that's mike and he sets up his tent and he sleeps there and then in the morning he's gone to these encampments to now like cities and and you know i mean i, I don't know it, I, I as someone that's been homeless before and lived in my car and done that whole thing in, in my younger years i mean like i get it but at the same time, when you're paying, that was my whole thing. I was like, I'm paying a fortune to live in this little closet of an apartment in Hollywood. And these guys, this guy's got like an air conditioning unit and like a sunroof and uh, his rent is free. So it just, you know, it, it was kind of eye opening. And I'm sure one of the I'm sure I'm not the only person to jump ship, you know. So I don't know, like during the pet during the like 2020 of it, like all in yeah. in in your ex neighborhood and my current neighborhood, so many people were bailing that like all of the streets. This was before the the homeless thing started getting so bad, but uh, I mean it was already bad for yeah. you know, but, but but it was regular for LA standards. But the kind of furniture that was getting left behind didn't wasn't from IKEA. It looked like like high end, like antique stuff, shop stuff. I mean, yeah. people, you could tell people were just bailing and drilling. They're fleeing. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I have some degree of empathy for, for, you know, relatively everybody, but I mean, it got to the point where it was no longer just homeless people. It was people that were like dangerous. You know, I, I, for maybe the last six months I lived in town, I basically stopped walking my dog, you know, around the neighborhood. And you because... have pit bulls. <laughs> Yeah, still. But I mean, there'd be like some large guy. I mean, there was this guy, at least on my street, that was always running around naked and yeah. was very aggressive. And I just, you know, when I'm trying to take my dog to, you know, go do her business, I'm like, that's not, I don't want to be worried about that over my shoulder. I just want to be out, you know, <laughs> and, and no, know. enjoy a 20 minute brisk walk in the area. But it, once that kind of stuff went away and the, the rent the rent didn't decrease by any means. And, you know, I, I, my overhead here, I'm in a two story, two bedroom house on a, you know, like a half acre of property. My overhead here is like 30% less than it was in my, you know, hunt, literally hundred year old one bedroom apartment in Hollywood. So I just, you know, 
I loved it there. And, and as a, as a native, it was hard to go, but you know, I tell people now I go, my only regret about, you know, making the jump is I didn't do it sooner. Yeah. But that's just me. No, I get, I get it. I think a lot of people, a lot of people understand it, but, um, yeah, especially if they're there. Yeah. So for anyone that's listening, Hollywood ain't what it used to be. (laughs) It's it's a, it's a whole new thing. Yeah. and I'm like, anyone that lived through the LA riots now is having their own whole new form of like, um, <laughs> yeah, craziness. Yeah, it's kind of a, a, a new, you know, a 2.0 of that. Yeah. Um, anyway, tell me about um, the new LA Guns record. Sure. Okay. So uh, I don't even know what number album it is, but our, our newest album is called Checkered Past. Um, it's doing pretty well. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not good at hyping stuff up like this, but it, you know, it was number three on the billboard, uh, like hard rock, whatever charts or whatever the heck it is. And, uh, you know, it was like on an Amazon bestseller thing, like top 10 or whatever. And, uh, I don't know, but we're, we're really proud of it. It's a great record. I think, um, as a, as a guy to go from sort of, you know, a casual fan uh into becoming friends with the guys and then joining the band and whatever else i think the feedback has been so stellar to me as a guy who you know i try to just sort of know my role in the band whereas like the band is tracy guns and phil lewis you know what i mean yeah and i'm just I, i just sort of work here and so my job is to facilitate predominantly at least the the older material i my job is to facilitate the songs and this music and whatnot and so uh you know you want to serve the song and you want the fans to be happy with what they're hearing and seeing and and you know i'm getting a little long-winded here but you know i'm my job is to serve this legacy act you know it's not like i'm i'm not the guy i'm not the you know it's not like you know they're not there to see me i'm just part of the cog in the machine so to, to hear the fans say that this is uh repeatedly that this is their favorite album since the first three, the sort of like original, like the big one, the big albums, uh, or if not, maybe their second favorite album is really, really means a lot to me. It really is impressive. Uh, it means that we're, we collectively are doing our job, uh, right. I hope. And, uh, you know, there's an element of like contemporary vibe to it, but it still definitely sounds like an LA guns record. It's still Phil Lewis singing and still Tracy on lead guitar. And, you know, we all came together remotely actually, to do the bulk of this album because we did it during the pandemic. So it was recorded in three states and two countries. That's awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. That's so cool. Yeah. I've got a little, uh, you're kind of seeing the like man cave side of this, of my office here, all my records and stuff, but this side of it is all guitars and there's a little studio set up right here in front of me with some monitor speakers and whatnot. And I literally did everything on, on checkered past uh, sitting right here. That's epic. Well, let's listen to it. We'll listen to a track from that and we'll come back in in, in a second. Okay. You gotta talk that talk You gotta be that 
Hang On Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hi, I'm back with Ace John Von Johnson, Von Richthofen, Von <laughs> Von Dog Dog Father. That, <laughs> sometimes, yes. I know. I see your cute dogs in the background. We're on Zoom, you guys listening. We get to see each other, and you just get to hear it. <laughs> Nanya. <Nanya-nya>. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's that's really cool that um, that you're doing that. What you you um. Were you like around in LA during that whole like sort of like like eighties like eighties nineties time period of um like LA Guns and um like Demolition Gore Galore? Do you remember them? No, and and here's Faster why. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did I did play guitar in Faster Pussycat for ten ten. But that was that was a years. little later though, right? Yeah. Well. uh uh, truth be told is I'm technically, I'm a millennial. I graduated high school in 2001. I know. See, that's so, why I was asking you that. Yeah. So anything, prior music, what people are like, dude, what do you mean? What were you doing in 92? And I'm like, I was nine. <laughs> what, do you mean, what was I doing? Uh, yeah, I didn't get into music. I mean, I got into music at a really young age because, you know, the whole like single mom, go put the radio on and, you know, or MTV and just leave me alone while mom went to work and that whole thing. And so, uh, you know, I definitely was raised on music, but I, I, by the time I was, you know, like going to shows or concerts or whatever you want to call it, it was already the second half of the nineties, you know? And so, uh, a lot of my peers, if you will, a lot of my peers are 10, 15, 20, 30 years older than me. And so it's pretty, I don't know where that comes from, but I mean, I early on was enamored with just what I would learn was punk rock. You know, at some point I discovered it must have been like early 90s, but uh, Rodney Bingenheimer was still doing something on Sunday nights. 
and I was alternating. I think I totally ruined the question, by the way, or whatever we're discussing. No, go ahead. No, no, I, you didn't ruin I, I was I was listening to a myriad of stuff. I was like 10, 11, 12, and this was pre-internet, you know, back like, you know, we probably have more in common with that than people five or 10 years younger than me because everyone's attached to their phone and iTunes. And it's like, I still remember cassettes and records, but yeah. uh, I discovered uh, whatever Rodney was playing and I have an older sister and she's uh, 13 or 14 years my senior. So she was already, you know, I'd be like, Kim, have you ever heard of this band called Dead Kennedys? And she'd be like, oh yeah. <laughs> what do you mean have I heard of them? I saw them five times, you know, and uh, and so it got me into all these, I mean, I don't, I don't think you can see, but there's the first X record is behind me over there, like on display, just that's what I had on the turntable earlier. And so like I got into X and I got into Ramones and I got into, you know, all the sort of that, you know, the germs and everything that I know you know everything about and and i was this weird kid in the 90s when everyone was like yeah nirvana and i was like no i'm more interested in like you know talking about the dickies or whatever yes or well or something like that and so uh i started you know playing in bands when i was in high school and i joined a touring band when i was 18 or 19 i can't remember and you know a kid which is where i got my punk rock band yeah i i was I was playing in a lot of bands in the late nine. Uh, no, I guess it was technically 2000, 99, 2000. And I, but I was still in high school. And so I was playing with a bunch of people and uh, started booking shows. Like I brought youth brigade uh, by that. Actually, when I was 14, my mom moved me to San Diego. So I did high school in San Diego. So I got to involve that. So I brought like youth brigade down and I booked like a UK sub show or something like that at this little, you know, like a VFW hall. And so I started networking with all these people and uh, I brought this band called the skulls down. I know, you know, the skulls. Oh, the skulls. I mean, I know youth brigade too. Uh, me and um, Sean Stern used to live across the street from each other. And I started working at a fireworks stand because I couldn't get a normal job. This was like yeah. way, way back because I looked like a lunatic, you know, that like, which means I would look normal right now. Yeah. But I was working at a fireworks stand and I, I got Sean to work there too, because he needed a job and it was all like punk rock people working there. And so Sean and I started saying that we were moving and we like, we needed empty boxes, but we were stealing like crates of fireworks <laughs> and, um, and then we used to like fire them across the street. Uh, like we'd turn them into Roman candles because the guy at the fireworks stand that owned it taught me how to like do surgery on the uh, fireworks and like pack more gunpowder into them and pack like the whistling components and shit. And we'd make these insane fireworks and like they'd be like, we'd be on our roofs firing them across the street. And like there was all, like there was fireworks in my pocket like up until like probably about five years ago of any like garment I hadn't worn in a long time where I'd open a drawer and fireworks would roll out. <laughs> That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. I, I, uh, have you ever seen, they did that. I'm, I'm sure you're aware of it. They did that documentary, another state of mind. It's like youth brigade and social. Yeah. Department. I haven't seen that. It, I, it's, not, I can't remember it. what year it is like 83, 84, but that was, that was like my Bible in like, uh, you know, maybe my freshman year in high school, I was like, I want to do what those guys do. I want to be, I want to be in a shitty broken down bus on tour. And, <laughs> and so I joined this, this band out of Burbank called Madcap. And, uh, 
they had like a little indie deal, but they were touring with everybody. They were like out like eight, nine months out of the year. And they were in there. I thought they were so old. They were like 25, 26, 27. And I was 18 or 19. The, and the singers who nicknamed me Ace, which is where that came from. And I off I went and I toured with them until I was 22. And I joined another band and another band and another band and another band. And it took me, I mean, I played with Murphy's Law from New York City and, you know, so many random bands and a lot of like the guy from said band like hey the guy this the one time bass player of Danzig wants to start a new band you know and they'd have me come down or whatever and just the most random people and it eventually led to a gig with some guys from Faster Pussycat I was 26 and you know Bob's your uncle they needed a guitar player and that was 2009 and then I came in and that didn't leave. And then I did that with other things interspersed, I, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And uh, in 2018, I joined LA Guns. And in 2019, I left Faster Pussycat after 10 years. And, and here we are. So, uh, but it's been interesting as, I'm, you know, as like a disciple of punk rock, you know, people are always like, what's your favorite, you know, hair metal album and i'm like Ugh, i don't know i don't care about that i'm like i'd rather talk about like you know why keith morris was a better singer for black flag than chavo or something you know like, yeah, yeah. more lean that direction and then as i as i got older or whatever you want to call it, more mature so there was a, a long time where i just kind of was like oh yeah i'm i'm the guy in fast pussycat i'm supposed to only give a shit about this kind of music and and i'm a guitar player so i should only really care about guitar based music and then as i hurled myself back into record collecting about five six seven years ago i was like i don't want to listen to any of this i want to listen to like you know the tough darts and like television and johnny thunders and you know the adolescence and christian death and rick agnew and whatever the hell else and i went i went back to all the stuff you know the stiff little fingers the stuff i was listening to which was probably to yourself which was like so long after it happened but to me it was like my childhood growing up like no i love i mean I, I i i think of punk rock as a really big long giant period you know and actually i i had this old boyfriend that used to tell me that i would say like in punk rock like as though i was saying in the paleolithic era or yeah. in, you know in, I, heard, in, I heard you mention that and uh i was listening to a couple episodes this week and i i thought that was hysterical but <laughs> you're you're right though it was like a time period but it's as a guy who wasn't, I wasn't there in 77. I wasn't there in 88 or 97, but like, it's funny now. And I'm like, Oh, I was at this, I went to see so-and-so and it was 96. That's closer to 77 than it is 96 to now. You know, it's like, that's no, I know. Years ago. All right. So we're taking a break and we'll be right back. That's like when I, when I was little, like I used to think that, um, that, that uh, like when when I saw like when I was a kid I'd see a car on the street from like the four, the 30s or the 40s and at first yeah. I thought it was like a, a real cartoon car like because it looked <laughs> like all the cartoons you know because yeah. that was the cartoons we were watching were all from like the 30s and the 40s and then my mom explained it to me and then a few years ago I realized that it was longer from my childhood in the 60s to the um to the twenties and the thirties and the forties, it was longer yeah. from now till when punk yeah. rock started in the late seventies, and that that yeah. scared the Isn't fuck that out of me. 
that's disturbing. I feel like things have gotten, they start like slowing down now. Like 2000. Oh, I feel like it got faster after lockdown. Like I felt like, <clears throat> like this year has gone so fast. And I, yeah, I always have that conundrum with, um, with time, like, or music. Like I'll be like, God, everything that's coming out today sounds really shitty. Am I just old or is it shitty? And I'll ask someone that's like 19 or 22 or something. And I'll go, no, it sucks. <laughs> and I'll be like, are you just saying that to me to be nice? But I mean, I feel like that about, about time now too, you know, like it seems like it's going really fast and I can't tell if it's because I'm like over 60 or if it's just because 2020 was so fucking slow. You well, know? It's, a, it's probably a combination of both, but you know, unfortunately that's just what it is now however the cool thing is is that you got to live through all those cool years and you have all these great stories you know and and in a, in a similar sense although not the same you know it's like i've got the same you know like pre-internet you know sneaking in sneaking in to see david bowie and whatever else well i got a, i got a dreamer back here i, I he's he's one one of his um pupils is like having a dream i can see it i can see it that's so cute <laughs> you hear the, the little barking and like it's making paw gestures okay so well let's let's switch gears yeah. for a second and talk about like the um all the pitbull advocacy and and sure. stuff you do because they're so cute you guys you um, wish you could see them they look like adorable little pig dogs yeah, yeah. In the background. that was that was so funny because i woke him up just now and he looked at me and he was so he like almost growled like he was sort of like angry i must have woke him up from a good dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um i started doing pitbull ab that advocacy um publicly probably like seven or eight years ago but it was something that i was interested in um you know as far back as maybe my early 20s just um as i had had a couple pitbulls previously and sort of learned uh, what I refer to as like the plight of the pit bull. You know, they've been sort of maligned by the media over the last 30 years and whatnot. Yeah, they have a, a terrible rap and they're such great dogs. Yeah, they really are. And it's interesting because they used to be what was basically like the symbol of like American strength was like a picture of like a pit bull type dog. Uh, and like, you know, the most decorated dog in service history it was a pit bull sergeant start sergeant Stubbs, but i mean you know that's just little but even factoids. buster brown shoes wasn't tig a pit bull remember buster brown and yeah Black yeah Black. and the 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 had that big pit bull like pumpkin face with like the <laughs> yeah pd pd from um uh, little, little rascals. rascals he was an english bull terrier but it's still technically considered a pit bull type dog and uh you know they say anything that's uh got a boxy or square head and uh muscular frame i mean the problem is is ultimately is that there are i'll try not to go too far down the rabbit hole on on this but i do have a tendency to soapbox with this but like uh a pitbull isn't isn't a breed there's a pitbull you know an american pitbull terrier there's an english pitbull terrier but when the average person says it's a pitbull what they're referring to is a type it's not a yeah. breed and so it's like saying oh he's from europe well, where Denmark, France, Austria—it's yeah. a—it's a wide scope there, and so people don't really understand that. And the problem is, um, as far as sort of defending them as 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 a type, is that um, 
they are such a loyal, wonderful type of dog that in the hands of the wrong people, they can easily be trained to do terrible things, A, and B, they're such strong dogs naturally that if you train this dog to say fight other dogs or harm other people, or you just abuse it and neglect it and it turns out that way, unfortunately, you know, that's what ends up happening. But the flip side is, is that, you know, I, I, I get in these arguments with people on internet, on the internet periodically talking about it. And if you looked at, at the statistics um, for, it's like for every pit bull attack, there's 10 million of them that were just a dog. You're literally more likely to be struck by lightning um, than you are to be mauled by a pit bull. So it's like, you don't see people going, I'm not leaving the house. I'll get struck by lightning. So it's just, it's, it's a large dog. You wouldn't get a large dog and be irresponsible with it. The problem is, is, is the people, it's not the dogs. And when I learned that they were sort of this, you know, like I, I had one in my twenties and I was walking him around. His name was Vincent. People were like, Oh, those dogs are dangerous. And I'm like, this is like the nicest dog ever. You're dangerous. Fuck you. And, uh, you know, and I sort of could relate to that, that whole, you know, like people, people look at me and they think I'm an idiot. Oh, some tattooed Yahoo in a band. And then they find out, you know, I went to like a prestigious college and graduated high school from a prep school with honors and all this nonsense. Like, oh, he's got a quite the, uh, you know, vernacular there, young man. I go, yeah. So stop, you know, don't ever judge a book by its cover. And I learned that real quick with these dogs. And I, ha you know, I have no problem saying it, but Mila, who you can barely see, I know this is just audio, but she's the gray and white one here closest yeah. to me. Uh, I would not be alive if I had not rescued that dog. Uh, uh, next month will be eight years ago. And so, uh, because she'll be nine next year. So yeah, so I've had her for eight years and I 100% would not be here without her. And then the boy who was hollering in his sleep, he's my foster fail uh, that I got <laughs> about six months ago. And he's an abuse case himself. I mean, he had, he's covered in scars and he was a, a, a what they call like a bait dog. So I, you, I, had, I was just going to say, like yeah. I had, um, I lived basically, my neighbor had them, but we, we have a big, white yard and um there was petunia and hambone that were pit bulls and someone <laughs> someone stole hambone from my neighbor's car and used them for a bait dog in a uh in a in a dog fighting ring in in south la and like he's a, he was a tv producer so he made a, a commercial and it went everywhere it was going all over the internet and this was like a pretty long time ago and yeah. and then some kid found Hambone at the LA River, like it just got dumped because whoever the people that were loony enough to steal a pit bull from a car, like, yeah. knew that like everyone was looking for looking it. For but he yeah. was completely—he looked like Frankenstein puppy when he came back. It was horrible. And then I've known some other dogs that were bait dogs too, like a like a greyhound that that I used to know and stuff. And it that that whole thing is just that just sucks. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awful. It's awful. And, 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 you know, everybody knows this dog fights happen or whatnot, but it's not, these dogs aren't opting to do this. This is somebody, this is a human. Uh, yeah. In, in, driving you know, them and like abusing yeah. them, like getting, it's, yeah. So to try to vilify the dogs based on that to me, it's just, oh, now the other one's doing it. She's going to start screaming in her sleep too. 
That's actually that's funny. My foster fail that I had to wake up a minute ago. That's the loudest I've ever heard him. Uh, and then Myla, who's named after Myla Nurmi, Vampira. Uh, uh-huh. You know, she used the rescue dogs. Did you know that? I did. Yeah. Yeah. She's, a, she, I never met her, but we had a bunch of mutual friends and I was, I was always under the impression she was a quite a wonderful lady. I met her, I met her ages ago at this, um, this place is now a hipster hotel, but it used to be like a crappy little coffee shop on Hollywood and Western. And I didn't know it was her. We'd sit, like I'd go there for breakfast sometimes and we'd start talking and I could tell that she was like, um, someone that had probably come to Hollywood to be a starlet because, and you know, this was like 30 years ago, right? Like yeah. you could see on older women, like if they had beautiful teeth, they were probably maybe fixed by the studio, but they always had like striking bone structure and beautiful eyes and just had this carriage. And so I knew it was some kind of an old Hollywood lady. And finally, after like three, three months or so, I was like, you know, like we talk all the time. My name's Pleasant when she was, and she said Myla. And all of a sudden, that clicked in, and I was like, is your last name Nervy? She said, yeah. yeah. And in my head, I was like, holy fuck, I'm being next to Vampire. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I wish I could have met her. She was great. Oh, my God. I, I interviewed her for LA Weekly, and she was her interview was so wild that like some of it, I think didn't even get printed. I mean, this was like <laughs> in the early eighties. I mean, she was like, you know, we were talking about James Dean, but I remember her saying something about Elvis. She's like, Oh, Elvis was one of the ones I didn't fuck. Like, <laughs> I can't remember if that got left in or not, but <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, 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 I had an early adoration for her because my, my dad, I do want to finish my rant on pit bulls, but, I'll come back yeah, yeah. but my, my dad raised me on, on all the old classic black and whites. And I mean, you know, uh, all the universal stuff and hammer horror and everything like that. I grew up on that. And that like my earliest, earliest memories of my parents who are both long since passed away. Now, uh, my earliest memories of my father were watching Vincent price movies with him. And I remember being, uh maybe 11 and i had just at the time now keep in mind i was 11 that's a like a little kid but i had discovered the misfits and nobody knew about them i was in this you know in the valley i think i was in uh sherman oaks or something like that and 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 it was like my my little niche thing was i was like oh there's this aggressive punk band that's singing songs about these horror movies I love and whatever. My, but my point was, is I remember being 11 and saying, I'm going to get two tattoos when I'm older. I'm going to get a vampire tattoo and a misfit skull tattoo. Because my dad was like, do you, you want to see the worst horror movie ever made? And he showed me Plan 9 from Outer Space. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where my early fascination with Myla Nurmi came from. And then I got a book on Ed Wood. Then I got oh, yeah. a book. I did a book report. I think it's called Nightmare and Ecstasy. I did a book report on him in seventh grade, like 12 or 13 years old, a little kid. Right. And my teacher, she, she was like, you're making this up. This isn't a real thing. And I brought in the book and a VHS copy of like, you know, night of the ghouls or orgy of the dead or something like that. She was. Take a break right now. Oh, my sure, God. Sure, sure, sure. So good.
Okay, Ace and I are back right now. Um, but yeah, so so that is so that's so cool that you did a book report on Ed Wood when you were yeah six. yeah I still I still have the book somewhere. The uh, I know in my library actually. Intentions, Ace. <laughs> Say again. Said the road to hell is paved with good intentions. No. Well, yeah, initially, and uh, you know the pitbull thing. I just. Uh, I think maybe around 2013 or so, I, you know, with some personal stuff going on, I think I just started kind of with social media, which I detest, but you know, necessary evil. Right. Uh, I started pushing, uh, you know, like, Hey, I just decided to do this thing. And then it kind of trickled down from there. And now it's just sort of like an everyday thing. I might not text you back, but I'll definitely, if I get tagged in, some rescue uh thing you know whether it's networking or just resharing or or honoring a pledge or i have at least once a week someone will reach out to me and go hey i'm in you know sheboygan or duluth or poughkeepsie and i need help or i found this dog or my dog got lost or this is happening or there's a dog fighting ring down the street what can you do and then that's when i start reaching out to my contacts and going like hey uh you know can you assist or facilitate, or do you have anyone in that area? And it's, you know, people only see the tip of the iceberg, at least social media wise, but definitely encompasses at least a few minutes, if not longer out of every single day of my life. There might be a week I don't pick up a guitar, but you bet your ass every day I'm trying to do something to help, not just pit bulls, but just any dog rescue stuff. But it can be really uh, encompassing because it's, it's a lot, you know, it's some of the worst things I mean, I've seen, I'm sure you have too, but I've seen some fucking terrible things in my life. And some of the worst things I've ever seen are what people are capable of doing to dogs, especially these types. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, any yeah. I, I was, I, I can't even remember who I was having this conversation with, but like, if, if I, if I see anybody abusing an animal, like I will just jump on them. Like, oh yeah. I mean, I've, I've gotten in pretty close to a few physical altercations over the years with you know just like you know you have to you know my voice will go down a few more octaves right and it's like what the fuck you know hey you know like <laughs> i i'm not a tough guy but if i ever have to be it's usually in an instance like that and it just sucks i don't i don't you know sometimes it's just so heartbreaking i can't tell you like i'll be someone will say hey can you net can you share this or have you seen this or can you donate or anything like that and i look and a lot of times it's just you know yeah it's just heart-wrenching and anyway so if anyone's listening that you know wants to know more please feel free to reach out but we should get back onto punk rock and horror movies instead of sad depressing dog stuff because i could go on for forever about that too okay yeah so punk rock and horror movies well are you um are you, I haven't even watched any horror movies. I'm I'm like the only person that didn't binge watch shit in the in the pandemic. I have not watched like anything except for I did watch Tiger King. Speaking of animals. Oh God, yeah, I I watched the first when it was brand new and it was everyone couldn't stop talking about it. I I started the new one just because I was you know morbid curiosity, right? But uh, and it's a little more of like a true crime. Carol Baskin fed fed her. Yeah, and just all these other facets that have popped up, and and it seems to be really well done. But I I'm similar where I it it has to be something really really intriguing for me to want to binge. Yeah, 
or even I, I have a tendency to start a series and never finish it. Yeah, so I do. Yeah. I'm more of like a, you know, if it's a documentary or a miniseries or a movie, it's easier for me to digest than it is like a 18 hour series or something like that. No, I just also I just didn't have the time, which I couldn't couldn't figure out. But I mean, yeah, that's that's I my goal is to binge watch something um over December, which I'm I'm saying and I'm <laughs> it's so hard I'm gonna break my knuckles that I am gonna well, have a light December. You're a busy woman, however, I'm sure there's something out there that's worth binge watching. Uh, I wanna see, see the Carol Baskin story. <laughs> I haven't I haven't finished this new season, so I can't really tell you how it ends up, but I'm hoping something interesting. Uh yeah, don't tell me anything. La 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 yeah. la. <laughs> la la la. <laughs> so um well like what tell tell everybody some stuff about Nashville. Like what's what's going on there aside from country music or any kind of music. I mean I'm just uh, saying I'm I'm such I'm such the wrong guy to ask. I, I'm like a homebody. You just like it because it's beautiful and affordable and calm and peaceful and yeah. I mean, it's a it's a combination of that and the fact that I've got you know just as many friends, if not more, here than I do in L.A. And uh, it's just a very it was a very warm and welcoming scene to arrive into uh, even as recently as last month, uh, excuse me, I went to an event and everybody was like, you know, it was almost like a meeting. Like everyone was like, this is Ace, he's in LA guns. Everyone was like, hi Ace, you know, you know, one of, one of us, one of us. And so it was, it was cool. There's, there's this massive hole, which is the pretentiousness and phony, uh, stuff that I've, yeah. I mean the, the bullshit, fake you know like what can you do for me and how quickly can you do it that i personally encountered over the last 20 years in the los angeles area maybe i never really had that because it wasn't like i didn't move to la to join a band or make it or try to be famous it just i joined a band i joined another band that became my job and then it became my livelihood and then it became my career and it just was never that set up that way for me but i've seen so many people that were you know really fell to that shit that were what they really like fell prey to that shit yeah and i just coming out here is such a nice change of the pace and there isn't that everybody here is pretty much already kind of like oh that's the guy from black crows and that's the guy from cinderella you know like everybody's already kind of comfortable with where they are in their career they're not trying to like steal your job like like the egg song it's who you know <laughs> exactly yeah yeah uh i down i downloaded your episode with john doe i have a flight to catch in 48 hours i'm gonna listen to that as well looking oh, forward to that oh my god the stories from there so so speaking of stories we're gonna sure. take a little break but then you need to hear some of your kookiest road stories not only me the audience wants to hear it because they know you sure. got here i am back with ace and now he's gonna do true confessions rock and roll tour style right yeah <laughs> Uh, how, you know, the black bar over the computer screen. So I can imagine that it's not. Yeah. Easy. Well, I mean, you know, doing 10 years with faster pussycat before, uh, Tammy got sober. I definitely witnessed my share of naked people 
and uh, bodily fluids. Uh, I know there was one night. I mean, how how what kind of tour stories do you want? I just was about to go real real gritty. People, I, uh, I, you want me to? Do you want me to tell you a, since um since we have um like since you, Ace is wearing a junkyard shirt and we were talking about junkyard before we started going live and um yeah. I'll tell you a, a sick little story that you'll like um and then 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 you can reciprocate in kind. So um, before Junkyard, like um, some of the guys were in a band called Poison 13. Like, and Poison 13 was this awesome, sludgy, bluesy um, sort of nightmare band from, uh, from Austin, Texas. And my band, The Screaming Sirens, used to go on tour with them all the time. And um, we all had boyfriends in Austin, too. So we, we called it when we were pulling in, like the roadies were always like, why are you guys all putting on makeup? And then we finally just... <laughs> It was because it was uh, 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 Austin. <laughs> but, um, so we'd all stay at Poison 13's house and the parties there were so fucking crazy. Like, like I mean, normal punk rock parties, but when you describe them to people now, shit like this doesn't happen that much anymore. Like yeah. um, one time this guy passed out on the, on the couch and um, his, I can't remember if they shaved his head or if his head was already shaved. Um, I think his head might have gotten shaved there, but also um, he was getting stapled. All his clothes were getting stapled to the sofa pillows and, and melted 45 records were like melted onto his sneakers. And the, everyone was like totally drunk and on acid, right? So <laughs> anyway, he woke up and he didn't know that that's what he looked like. He got up and he tried to walk on the records and he fell over. And also he, also he was stapled to the couch. But um, but yeah. then um, finally, when he got unattached from the furniture, he went to a, a like a Seven Eleven or a Wawa store or whatever the convenience store was near then. And he was it was like you know it had just opened up, and he was waiting and waiting to get a case of beer because he had some money, and that the clerk was taking a long time. So finally, he just stole it because he was so hungover he needed a drink. <laughs> it wasn't his intention to steal it, but he got pulled over. I mean, not, I mean, not pulled over. He got, cause he was on foot. He got stopped by the cops like a, a block or two later. And like, he's like, no, I, I didn't steal this. I bought it. Like, what makes you think I stole it? And the cops were like, <clears throat> they said the, the clerk, well, the clerk, the clerk, you fit the description the clerk gave. And he's like, what are you talking about? And they said a bald man with writing all over his face. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, what are you talking about? And the cops like shoved him onto the car and made him look in the rearview mirror and he had no idea. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I got that kind of story for days. I mean, uh, the first tour I ever, ever, ever did. I was 17. I was still in high school. We went up to uh, Seattle and back. With? and uh my drummer passed out we were in san francisco and we were staying there's a there was a band i, I guess they're still around this punk band called the swinging utters and we stayed at the drummer's house which was like the like crash pad du jour in san francisco and his roommate uh was a woman obviously and she had some i don't remember how we found this but she had, maybe just laying out she had some man porn 
and we super glued it to our drummer. So he woke up with like gay porn super glued all over him. And, uh, and uh, that was the first time I think any of us ever uh, took a shit out in public. <laughs> a lot of those stories, you know, and uh, you know, uh, when I was in Murphy's Law, who are, you know, what would be considered, I guess, like a legendary New York hardcore punk band. Uh, you know, one of those early, I guess, I'm going to say this started in 1980. Yeah, I think but, around then, yeah. Yeah, so I played with them for maybe, I don't know, six months. And, uh, and when I landed in New York, because their original guitar player, Todd Youth, who's no longer with us, but I was sort of his protege, I guess, in my 20s. And uh, Todd was like, oh, you can, you know, he was like, you, you played with Dwayne Peters and you've worked with Inger Laurie and all these crazy people. You can deal with Jimmy Gestapo. And I said, sure. And so they flew me out there and I landed and they picked me up in this taxi cab. And uh, the singer and the drummer picked me up and I'm riding in the backseat of this cab in between them. And they're having an argument, but the singer's trying to like, you know, get me excited to do this tour he's like oh man it's so good to see you shut the fuck up and he's punching this guy over me in this <laughs> thick new york accent he's like oh man ace i'm so fucking glad you're out here we're gonna have a good time shut the fuck up in a car just like right and hitting him and they're they're having this whole thing and i was like oh and that was like a couple days before we went to japan we were over there for a month and there's so many so many absurd stories in japan there's one where the tour manager who's in the yakuza pulled out a cigar cutter the, oh my the God. promoter wasn't going to pay us and he it was this whole long-winded thing but basically he said for every hour after the bank opens at six in the morning that you don't pay my band i'm going to cut off a finger and the, the guy wet himself and it was like a whole i mean you know tour stories i mean those are those kind of stories and then i, I think faster pussycat and i think of tamey telling these two women in the front lounge of the bus being like they were talking about how they could squirt and he was like okay we'll do like a squirting contest and there's these two naked women with bodily fluids and a whole thing and i was 26 or 27 just like what the fuck did i get myself into you know because I, I i don't i don't party and never did drugs i was never like a coke guy but it, it was just that sort of thing was constantly around and just it was still kind of the tail end of their sort of like, you know, I guess at that time they would all have been in their maybe early forties. So they were still kind of like hanging on, you know, they're like, we're going to get some chicks on the bus and they're going to, you know, take their shirts off. And, and I'm just sitting there like on the phone, with my girlfriend, like, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine here. Don't worry about it. You know? <laughs> and, uh, God, you know, I'm sure there's, I hope I covered the bases there because I, I'm sure there's a million other stories, but. Uh, no, that's good. I mean. That's plenty, I think. Now I've done enough detrimental uh, tidbits there for myself. Well, I had, I, um, I had an ankle surgery in uh, last May, you know, and um, I was like, I was on crutches for nine weeks, but I was, I was like so wasted on pain pills because I, I didn't know it was going to be that bad. Like no one, no one, you know, and yeah. I was taking half doses of it, but so some friends of mine came over and because they were talking, they kept talking about rock of love and I had never 
never seen it, but my band, the, the Screaming Sirens, used to, to like, we, we would do gigs with Poison because we were on the same label, but I had no idea what Rock of Love was, and I got fucking addicted to it while, yeah. <laughs> while covering. It was like, it was so out of control. That was like the best reality show I've ever seen, even that- whether that are not but yeah <laughs> and and ricky rackman was the sort of liaison right yeah totally and ricky ricky is my best friend in the world i'm actually walking him down the aisle at his wedding in about two weeks really i mean i know yeah. Rick, hi to him i know him from the olden days from the <laughs> <laughs> from the punk rock era <laughs> from punk rock from from like all the the cat house bordello white trash you know all those clubs and stuff and then he met he um he managed the lame flames who was my my roommate iris's man they were i didn't know he managed the lame flames that's pretty cool yeah and that for anyone that's listening they they were the lame flames were great they were all like really hot girls that would sort of sing in unison um and they were wearing like like studded jock straps and little bras and stuff. And they, they had songs like, like a song called bad sex. And then, <laughs> and then um, like, I, I remember <laughs> one of the songs was like, buy me a drink. I don't care what you do. You can go to hell. Buy me a drink. I don't care what you do. Just take me to Taco Bell. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. The lame poet. Right. poet. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know he managed anybody. That's pretty cool. I'm gonna have to bug him about that. He well, he he and I bonded about what is now ten years ago, I guess. And he because we met through Tammy, obviously, and yeah. and the whole cat house fast pussycat connection. And we had you know been in the same room a, a dozen or so times, and we were somewhere where we were sort of stuck. And I just remember he was like, "Oh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't." You know, he's like, you're in Faster Pussycat. You wouldn't like what I like. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, like music wise. And he was like, oh, well, my favorite bands are like the Adolescents and TSOL. And I was like, Dance With Me, the Blue Album, like Agent Orange, DI, Dickies, Weirdos, Germs, like Skulls. Like, what are we talking here? And he was like, you like that stuff? And I was like, yeah, I like that stuff. I know I'm in like this hair metal band, but I listened to that. And then he was like, what about this band? And I was like, oh, yeah, I've got that on 45. And he's like, what about this band? And that was how he and I like bonded initially. And still to this day, he'll call me and be like, I just picked up this, you know, this second X record on purple vinyl, you know, whatever nerd music, audiophile stuff we talk about. But that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, you know what I think is like, um, like some, some people think that like you can only like like one style of music, you know, like I hate that. I know uh-huh. it's weird. like like just music is great like I mean if there's a good song it's a good song yeah know? I mean I would imagine your taste is relatively eclectic yeah it's I mean it, it's all over the fucking place like I love anything old punk but like I like like Bob Wills or or like even during punk rock I, I, like you know we were so into like sick shit like um like Rick James and and the Daz Band and stuff like that because it was those were insane records, you know. Yeah, and we would, yeah. we would mix cassettes like when I was putting on punk rock shows and it would have everything from like you know the like Stretcher Case, the new Damned forty five, and then it would have like Annette Funicello doing my Secret Serving Spot <laughs> and it would have like 
Phyllis Diller and, and Jim Backus singing Delicious, you know, that, yeah. that where they're drinking and then just lots of punk rock and then some other horrifying thing, like just thrown in, you know? But see, I, I appreciate that. And I always, I, I never, I never liked when people tried to pigeonhole stuff because I feel like, you know, if it's a good song, it's a good song. It shouldn't matter what the genre is. But at least for me, when I was growing up, there was nobody, it wasn't until high school that there was like this sort of like hierarchy of like, oh, the goth kids got to go over there and the metal kids got to go over there. And if you're at a punk show, you can only have a punk patch on and a punk shirt. It was like, I, I showed up being like, well, I like the Beach Boys, but I also like Slayer, but I also like The Damned. But yeah. then I also, I'm going to go home and I'm going to listen to like this random Burt Bacharach album because why not? Exactly. You know? Totally. Yeah, that's exactly. That's what, but like, especially the early punk scene was really like that a lot because we would use the, we'd listen to Rodney's because it took, you know, like all the English newspapers, the, the music papers, and then all the 45s and stuff would come over here not even on planes, on boats. So they, yeah. they, would, they would take like ages to get here. But um, so Rodney was only on one night a week on KROQ. And um, the other nights, none of us would listen to Top 40 in LA because it was horrifying. It was like Captain and Tennille and shit like that. But yeah. so we, we would listen to this radio station called the XPRS that was coming from Baja, Mexico. And that's like, that, that's like where the, the, uh, the Blasters song Border Radio came from because they would play like all these like great oldies, you know, yeah. because that was like their audience. But then there'd also be like, you know, 20 minutes of dedications of like, you know, two puppets. I know you're, I know you're incarcerated baby, but I'm waiting for you. Love's sad girl and shit yeah. like that. Yeah. We, were, we were getting like a lesson in like, you know, like Los Angeles, um, you know, like lowrider culture and like just hearing all this cool old doo-wop and like weird, crazy, like novelty songs. I mean, not, not necessarily like Dr. Demento, but just crazy stuff along with like, you know, playing, uh, playing like the Clash's first record or, yeah. you know, like the adverts or something, you know, a single, like, yeah. and it was just cool. It was like, nobody had any constrictions about musical taste then. And then, when when rockabilly first started coming into the scene you know like like also like around 79 and 80 um a lot of girls went to it immediately just because that was when like the jock assholes were getting into punk rock the same people that used to throw garbage at us out of car windows so like yeah you know they would start fights and so the rockabilly shows were safer but everyone liked the rockabilly shit anyway because it was raw you know it wasn't yeah. like rockabilly it was it was like it was like what the cramps would were getting influence of you know that kind of like backwoodsy just crazy fucking like hazel adkinsy kind of stuff or just weird weird singles from arkansas uh you know like yeah just, yeah uh, yeah i mean I, I i my mom raised me on a heavy dose of like just whatever you would call it doo-wop you know like danny and the juniors and you know big bopper and all that's you know 50s all that bubblegum rock and roll stuff. And I mean, I still listen to all that stuff. I mean, I, you know, I'm just as apt to put on like, you know, some carcass record as I am to put on like, you know, uh, John Kidd and the Pirates, you know, or, or. 
Tiny Kid and the Pirates, shaken all over. Yeah, some great music. And it's interesting to look back now and see how much that, how influential that stuff was on, on a lot of the early punk rock. And, and yeah, and on glitter rock. Like when I, like oh, yeah. when I, listen, like when, when glam rock and glitter rock was first coming out, like I thought it was amazing. And it wasn't until like a little bit later, like around punk rock time, that I started realizing how 50s it all sounded, you know, it was so yeah. influential by all those 50 songs which was also what made it amazing and then the other day even i had a i just had a revelation i mean i mean this isn't anything that you know nobody knew but i i just realized like how fucking cool was it that bowie did pinups then because that was all his favorite songs when yeah. he was growing up and that was that was so fucking that was so cool that he did that because that like that introduced so many people to the original yeah completely completely yeah. well and it's not the same thing but similar is when people are like because of the bands i'm known for they're like oh blah 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 you know whatever we want to call it 80s rock hair metal that whole time frame you know from let's just say like 85 to the early 90s and i go well look at how much of that was influenced by punk rock i mean guns and roses spaghetti incident album is almost exclusively punk rock covers you know and and even um you know like even the guy it was nikki beat who played drums on the first la guns album yeah you know? yeah yeah and then also so, like one time like what sorry i didn't mean to cut you no, off no no go ahead one time um when when belinda from the go-go's was my roommate we were roommates for years um we saw that motley crew was playing at the whiskey and we thought we'd go there as a lark we thought there'd be like three people there and it would be some down like old old style like heavy metal thing and then we were just fucking blown away we were just like what this is yeah. amazing you know yeah yeah and so i, I mean I, I i always thought it was cool when I get to, it's usually with fans because it's usually talking to somebody who maybe just only listens to, you know, Danger Danger and LA Guns and whatever. And that's, that's fine. But I always like, you know, I feel like there's a couple of these bands where you can do a crossover. Like you could mention the Joneses and you could be like, I used to play with them all the time. Yeah. Like if you look at them, like a picture of the Joneses in 85, they look more like Guns N' Roses than they did a punk band. You yeah. Know? And like them or Hanoi Rocks. I mean, more than looks more like the Joneses. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. But I mean, you know, uh, uh, Jeff Drake actually reached out to me earlier this year and mentioned you by name. Really? Uh, what, what was it about playing guitar? He said he was working on a record and something to do with you and asked if I'd play on a song. I'm going to do a record of duets. Oh, very cool. Yeah, you should play on it. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. Jeff has to come on this podcast. He hasn't come on yet. You definitely got to get Jeff on here. I, I, I'm, I've i been a Joneses fan for most oh, of my life. God, the stories that we could tell. But ask, ask, him, ask him what happened every time like I bump into him on the street. <laughs> okay. Or here, I'll just say it for the audience. Um, but sure. you, can, you can ask him and he'll elaborate. I would bump into Jeff. Like we used to play together all the time, and we did a lot of like like um, Sirens, Joneses, Chili Pepper shows. Like there, there was like at least four of them that I can remember, just because it was all just wild party bands. Even though it seems like none of those bands would go to. We were all friends, and it went together. Yeah. Anyway, um, 
So I bump into Jeff on the street and I'd be like, Hey, what are you doing? And we'd like, you know, have a little kiss on the cheek. Hello and stuff. And they'd be like, Jeff, you want to go to a party? And it would, and then it would be like five days later. Like, like it would, it would just turn into like the wildest fucking like eighties style binge starting with like some insane party. And then one time we like woke up in Tijuana. I mean, it was like, (laughs) it was like total, total eighties insanity. I would love to hear Jeff regale us with some more tales like that, for sure. Oh, yeah, he's uh, writing a book. Do you know that? I did not know that. That's pretty oh, cool. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm not going to say anything because also I don't want the public to um, hear it. But, like, um, and I, I've read some chapters. It's it's fantastic. You have a few books out, yeah? Yes. My, I should send you one. Give me your address. I, send oh, you I would one. love that. I would love that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the last one was like all road stories from punk rock to like dance tours, which seem like they'd be normal, but they're really not, especially like in Egypt in the Arab Spring and shit like that. Oh, wow. You know, I would love to hear about that. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Everyone else should buy it. Buy it. No. <laughs> yeah, buy it. I'll, I'll buy it from you. It's fine. No, um, I don't buy it. Well, we should we should um, we should probably take a little break, and then I think we have to wrap up because we're going on. But we're gonna have a little break, and then Ace and I will come back and jabber a little bit more for you guys. We could talk for a long time. This is the problem with all my podcasts. Like they could, they could all, like all the episodes could be like three and a half hours long. I mean, it's not a problem, I guess, but. Yeah. I feel like, you know, you get like 65, 75, 85 minutes in and then it's like, all right, listen up. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I have sort of two settings. I either don't, I'm either very like, you know, uh-huh sure that's cool or i'm like i want to talk about whatever you know so knowing your history and the topics that we're going back and forth here on i'm definitely like i could talk about we could talk about the damned or you and your history with the germs and all those bands for probably for forever oh yeah we could i mean i i could say something about that right now if you want but then we can also take it offline baby (laughs) (laughs) either or well give me here give me give me give me what were you gonna say tell me oh about about the germs or about something oh okay well i think a lot of people might know this because it's been in some books but um i met i met um george and paul who were who turned into Pat Smear and Darby Crash um, at a Queen concert. And it was right when I had first come to LA. I was like, I had just turned 
I turned 16 a few days after I got here and I took the bus to the Santa Monica Civic all, all slutted up to go and see Queen. And then um, I was smoking a joint with Tony Curtis, who I didn't realize was Tony Curtis until after. I just thought it was like some nice looking old man. And then I realized it was fucking Tony Curtis. But then I got distracted by George and Paul coming down the aisle just as the lights were going out. Um, and this was like, this was like at the very beginning of Queen. I mean, this was like, I mean, not the real beginning, but like, I think it might've been their first tour over here. This was like in yeah. 1975. Wow. And so when I saw them, George and Paul coming down the aisle, they looked absolutely fucking insane. Like George was wearing like a floor length black cape and like black satin bell bottoms and no shirt. And his hair was like all out in a pyramid, like the Sphinx. And Paul was dressed all in white with an Aladdin scene flash on his face and, and like a orange Bowie shag. And so I borrowed a pen and wrote my number and all these like Saturns and lightning bolts and shit all over it. And I just said, Aladdin scene, you cosmic orgasms call me. And I threw it. And the <laughs> next day they caught, I threw it towards their chairs and they got it. And they, yeah. and they called me the next day on the landline. And then we just started going around raising raising all kinds of hell everywhere. And then that was also how um, the next time Queen came into town, we were always cutting school, like we'd cut school to go to each other's schools and stuff, you know, and yeah. just out. So we, we decided we'd go um, to the hotel where Queen was to see if like they could come through, you know, if they came through the lobby, if we could talk to them. And then that's how we met, um, that's how we met Belinda and Terry Ryan. Um, who turned out to be Lorna Doom. Like they were yeah. cutting school from Thousand Oaks coming all the way down to do the same thing. And we were just in the lobby for hours together. And like, none of us had any kind of idea how, how insane that, you know, like our lives were going to become with the advent of punk rock. And then what about like just a few weeks ago, like me and Teresa Caricas, who lives in Nashville, if you don't know where you should meet her, I'll give you her number. Mm -hmm. but, but anyhow, uh, we we and a bunch of other LA punk people are like people from the germs. <laughs> yeah, in rock and roll, all the fuck would have ever thought. And the same induction too. It's so crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, so many people that I know uh, that are like you know proud of that niche, if you will. We're like, like we we're finally recognized. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right right have you ever seen that photo and i guess it's pretty famous in its own respect now it's a picture of darby holding a skateboard that says the germs on it uh-huh so it's this famous picture that i guess has been floating around since you know way back and uh one of the first things rackman told me was was that it was his skateboard that was his ricky rackman's skateboard that famous photo of darby with like a germ skate deck because i guess he was like one of the first shows ricky ever went to was the germs and he, that's how he got obsessed with punk rock and blah 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 but uh i have a um i have a new book coming out called rock and roll witch and um it's really not out yet because of seriously supply chain problems but um it's all like these fucking sick, like paranormal stories or witchy stories with, with like the gun club and the germs and Kid Congo's all over it. I'm going to send you a story about- Oh, I would love to read that. Weren't we supposed to talk about something paranormal too? 
Oh yeah, if you had any kind of weird paranormal shit, like because we always include that here. Uh, yeah. Um, I had one other random thing I was going to mention too, and it was applied to the last thing we were on, and I've already forgotten what it was. I saw a disembodied woman in Germany in a what turned out to be a World War II bunker, uh, which is probably my most like legitimate ghost story or whatever you want to call it, sighting encounter. Um, I've definitely uh, felt, seen, heard a couple of strange things, especially in my younger years, like as a child. But the most vivid memory I have is being on tour in Germany and we were playing a youth hostel that was like, or it was a youth hostel during the day and then like a club at night, you know, it's like, you know, held 300 people maybe. But then up top was uh, the band department on ground level. It was like a, like a condo, you know, it was like four bedrooms and a kitchen and a this and a, a living room, but it was a leftover from world war two. It was a, it was the bunk. It was the soldier barracks and the underground teen center was the, the, you know whatever i don't know the terminology but the the bunker or whatever the hell it was and it was a strange vibe and i remember sitting in the living room having lunch talking to my tour manager who was this you know very thick accented german and i saw to my right a woman walk through the kitchen with long black hair such as yours and she was wearing blue and i thought that's strange there shouldn't be a woman in here because you know whatever and so I got up and I looked and it was just, it was the kind of thing where the, the doorway I saw her walk through was the only entrance to the kitchen. So it wasn't, you know. So she walked through the actual door or, or like. It was like if, you, if you're looking through a doorway and I just saw her walk through there. Oh, so, wow. And, and I didn't think anything of it for maybe 10 seconds. And I was like, you know, that had that moment of like, who the fuck was that? And yeah. I kind of. And he, I remember my tour manager was like, you Americans always think you see ghosts and your crazy culture. And I was like, all right, forget it. I didn't see anything, but I remember it. I remember it very well. That's awesome. Yeah. An apparition. Those are good. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, on that note, <laughs> we're going to end. That was, that was um, Ace Von Johnson. That Thank you for having me. We could go on and on and on now. Maybe, maybe I think we should come back, like with some other people too, at some point, and just talk about. Other Have things. you done a, a one of these where you've had multiple people on? I well, the last multiple one that I had was um the girls from Backstage Pass. Yeah. Um, it was a groupie band in the '70s, and one of them wound up in in my band in the '80s. Like you know, like they were a punk rock groupie band, but um. This was this was so fun um, because one of our listeners, hi Carrie, from um, <laughs> from Australia, said um, made a really nice comment about it because we started talking about stuff. We were talking about the dams and about backstage passes, gigs, but also their groupie antics, and they all found out like almost fifty years later that like a couple of them had both been sleeping with like rat scabies at the same time. <laughs> right on the air and um, and then one of them said to me pleasant did you ever fuck up and i was like no i was if i was gonna fuck someone from the dam it would have to be dave Vanian. it would have been dave vanian absolutely i got to i got to 
on the dam too, right? If you were a girl. If I was a woman, I'd have slept with Dave Anian. I did a tour with them, supporting them throughout England for about 10 days in 2008 or something like that. And I remember the only person in the band that Dave spoke to was me. And I remember two of the guys in the band were really miffed because they wanted to like fanboy and he was very aloof, you know, and I forgot I was wearing a, a you know, we mentioned the horror movie thing. I know we got to wrap it up, but I was wearing a, you know, like a Bella Lugosi shirt or something obligatory, some, you know, creature from the black lagoon or whatever. And he was like, I like your shirt. And we started talking briefly and I could see down the hall, the other guys like looking at down, the, like, teaming you know like oh how come ace gets to be friends with him you know and uh he was a very nice man he they we sound checked with them one night uh or one afternoon and i remember my inner 12 year old self was ecstatic that i got to play neat 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 with captain sensible and the guys and uh that's so good take that with me for forever but definitely a lifelong fan of the damned and uh, again if i had to sleep with any of them i guess it would be i guess it would be dave but it's got to be like 80s Dave with the blonde streak, you know, yeah. and like the lapels. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there you have it, folks. I'm I'm only coming out for Dave Vanian and nobody else. That's it. That's something I'm sticking with that. Goth AF is no. <laughs> <laughs> my sister would approve. That was her first crush in high school, too. Oh yeah. So you come from a good you come from good stock there. No. <laughs> yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You hear that, Kim? We're both gunning for the same guy. <laughs> okay, you guys, that that was Ace von Johnson. How fun was that? Listen, listen to his records, all of them. And I hope you guys enjoyed this. And um I will see you on the next episode. Well, I won't see you, but you'll hear me and I'll I'll feel you on the next episode. <laughs> Okay, bye. The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 